Welcome to Tuesday's edition of the Mike Davis Show. We're here in St. Augustine. Amanda's with me. We've got a great guest today. But before we get to all that really, really fun stuff, and there may even be drinking for some people on the show today, <laughs> um, which I'll tell you in a minute why I'm sad. Anyway, uh, let's get our sponsors in first. Bozart Ford Lincoln in St. Augustine. Their goal is to make sure your time, experience, buying a new or used car is stress-free, fun, and enjoyable. Bozart is a family-owned Ford dealership here in St. Augustine since 1949. They've been the recipient of numerous dealer awards, including being ranked the number one automotive dealership in the nation by Dealer Raider. And they also won back-to-back President's Awards from Ford Motor Company, which is the highest award Ford gives its dealers. Go out and see Letty and Bo and all the staff. Go get a 904 Now Burger at Ford's Garage, which is right next door. Or check them out online at BozardFord.com. They'd love to have your business. I've got Powell Heating and Air Conditioning. Their dedication to customer service has been evident in everything that they do from the moment they answer your call until the time they leave your home. They are working to make you comfortable and confident about the care and service you receive from Powell. They are always open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, nights and weekends. You can call them if you have an emergency. They've been locally owned for 36 years years with their fleet of 10 plus trucks and 15,000 square foot warehouse stocked with parts and equipment they are ready to serve you around the clock they service all heating and air conditioning brands so give them a call powell heating and air conditioning i also have ward medical services they're the only locally family-owned medical equipment supplier in st john's county they are trusted by both local doctors and hospitals for over 22 years. Word Medical should be your first call for everything from wheelchairs to home oxygen and sleep therapy equipment and supplies. Stop by their local showroom at 2435 US 1, just south of Walmart in the Lewis Point Plaza. You can also call them at 904-794-9600 Monday through Friday from 9 to 5. From our home to yours, Word Medical. And it's that time of the week, Land Title of America. Whether you realize it or not, when you refinance the sale or purchase of a home, there's a title company involved. Don't get stuck with some out-of-town company that doesn't give a crap when you're faced with challenges. Stay local and choose Land Title of America. Just call or text Stephen Collins, 904-501-4481. He specializes in all types of real estate transactions. Land Title, your local title company, ensuring America's land one title at a time because they give a crap yes they do <laughs> land title we love those guys great sponsors all right i'm a little sad today usually we get to drink sometimes on this show mm-hmm. amanda's all dressed up for drinking on this mm-hmm. show today I, I haven't seen her come this dressed up to a show in weeks i usually only get dressed up when you're out of town sweatpants mm-hmm. normally and t-shirts no I'm no lie kidding. no word no. of a lie <laughs> <laughs> just kidding all right we've got charles cox with us from the san sebastian Marine. charles welcome to the show Thank you very much. It's nice to have you on. I think it's been a while since we've had you on the show. Yeah. It has been a long while. It has been a long while. I know. I think uh, it was, we were radio back in the day, um, and we didn't get to show how, uh, what a good looking man that you are. So now that we have this show, yeah, you have all these people that say, God, I didn't know Charles was, you can have all kinds of people coming and asking for autographs now. Uh, You wore a jacket and everything. I think that's a jacket. Everyone got dressed up today. I did not. I did not get the memo. Yeah. Well, <laughs> if you're going to do wine, you got to be dressed I, up. I, well, that's true. That not is true. Yeah, that is true. Well, and I got to tell you, I can't drink. I have to go to the job site at the college right after this show. So I don't think it's a good idea um, to go supervise a construction site afterwards, which I'm a little disappointed, and there is a tear welling up in one of my <laughs> eyes right now about missing out on this. So, yes. All right, so um, tell us a little bit, for those that don't know, the San Special Army, you guys started here in 96 in the old Flagler Hospital. Right? Well, the hospital was actually next door, next door. Okay. where the police station is. Okay, all right. And so what... Our old building was that that first original building was a record storage facility for the East Coast Railway. Okay. And uh, Flagler built it in 1924, I believe. Okay. And so that's what we got. It was essentially just open, big warehouse, two floors wide open, three thousand square foot each, and solid concrete and brick. Oh, it's one of the most solid buildings. Cool. If there's a hurricane coming. 
That's the place to go. <laughs> Back in 97, 98, whenever Floyd came through. Yeah. Which was one of the whoppers at that time. Mm-hmm. You know, we've seen multiple ones since. That was one of the first evacs. Half my my staff stayed at the winery yeah. and had a nice little party there. Uh, I, and all around them. <laughs> Well, well, that was the point. I mean, you're up on the second floor. You're 15 feet above all of that nonsense. But Floyd was one of the first ones we had where we did have some flooding. It wasn't as bad as Matthew and Irma and uh, Nicole and Ian. But, I mean, it was bad. Um, But um, that that building is just, it's just a brick. I mean, I say brick, it's all solid concrete. It's not going anywhere. Nope. 12-inch floors. Yeah, that are some kind of concrete they had back then that is much different than what you have it, now. It's river rock concrete. Yeah. So the river rock, if you ever try to cut the river rock concrete, it'll go through a diamond cutting blade faster than any other type of concrete. It, it's tough. Mm-hmm. It is really, really tough. And I'm assuming he was able to get the river rock because he had access to the rail lines and, mm-hmm. all, and all the other things. But yeah. And then the and I don't know if he did it in that building, but at Flagler College, um, when Flagler built that, he didn't have rebar. Mm-hmm. But he had railroad ties. So if he put railroad ties in there as well, good luck taking one of those balls. Yeah. Good luck. That that would have, I mean, even with the tools we have today, that would be really, really, really fun. So so you guys start there, but you've been, you've been around as a winery for years before you opened up here in St. Augustine. Yeah, we started, so I grew up in Tallahassee. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad actually started the company in 1983. It's called Lafayette Vineyards and Winery. Mm-hmm. And it was a friend of his that was an attorney that his father owned 10 acres of vineyards. And he came to my dad, who was a CPA at the time, and said, how do you make money out of a 10-acre vineyard? Mm-hmm. And he said, uh, the only way I think you can make money out of that is make it into something else. You know, yeah. You're not going to make, make any money off fresh fruit necessarily, but uh, if you make wine or you know, jelly or, or what have you, then you probably could. And he said, well, uh, you think you could do up a business plan for us for that? Mm-hmm. He said, sure. And so he went to a bunch of wineries. He kind of checked into it and put a plan together. And the guy said, uh, well, I'll, I'll be the the general manager. We can do a partnership. You being a CPA know who's got all the money. And mm-hmm. so then you can get some investors in this thing, and we can do this. And my dad said, Okay. So that's kind of a little bit of how it started. He he ended up, my father, or actually my whole family, so me and my mother and father and sister, one weekend he woke us up, and we always had these abnormal projects for a weekend. So he kind of grew, grew up in agriculture and construction himself. And uh, so we planted a five-acre vineyard by our house, just to kind of be the test vineyard as this whole project was formulating. So we did that, and... Uh, then it was it was in a time in the early 80s you couldn't hardly find a good contractor and he actually had his contractor's license as well my grandfather was a partner in a commercial construction company and that was what he did most of his career and dad had worked running crews for him at some point and had his license so he basically built the building and so that's kind of how it started um the first day, the grand opening, they were going to do something like $4,000. And the attorney comes into my dad's office and he says, this is great. We're going to do $4,000 today. And my dad, being the CPA, said, uh, I think we might have made a big mistake. Mm-hmm. And he says, what do you mean? And he says, I kind of projected we'd do $4,000 every day. <laughs> <laughs> and so it kind of tumbled along for a while. And Tallahassee, you know, not not. It was a, a decent-sized city, but it wasn't in Orlando or a Jacksonville or a Miami or anything yeah. like that. It didn't have a lot of tourism tied with it as well. So kind of plugged along for a bit. And then in 1988, a group of people out of central Florida that had come through mm-hmm. Lafayette liked what we were doing and had some money and said, well, you do this down in central Florida. There's tons of acreage down there where all the citrus froze and it's just vacant land and it's dirt cheap. So they invested in t- into it. And so we went and built Lake Ridge Winery that we opened in 89. And that's near Howie in the Hills, Claremont, all yeah, of that. In Claremont, right off 27 yeah. there. Almost. A lot more acres than the five acres you started with, too. Yeah. Well, the five acres were was at our house. Uh, what he ended up purchasing in Tallahassee was 392 acres. Okay. He developed a portion of it into home sites, 
um, and left about 40 acres out for the vineyards and the winery. Now, I don't know your dad, but I know CPAs mm-hmm. and I know contractors, right? We have a CPA in the family of contractors, and the CPA is the safest, most structured of the family, mm-hmm. right? Everything's got to fit in a box. It's all got to be in a certain time frame. And if it doesn't fit in a box, then you've done something wrong, right? right. Where contractors are like, uh, well, we'll just rearrange the box. We'll make the box bigger or smaller to fit what we need to have in it, right? We'll just work around all those problems. Where the CPA was like, no, no, no. Every-. So your dad, to have one foot in those two worlds, had to be quite uh, it has a unique individual. And, and, and to take and a risk. agriculture part, too. Yeah. So yeah. his mother and father both came from families that were like eight and ten brothers mm-hmm. and sisters. Had several thousand acres in Quincy right outside of Tallahassee where they were growing lots of things. Sugarcane, tobacco on some of it, lots of, of different vegetable tomatoes. And so he, he ran a farm for one of his uncles at one point in his life, too, before he went back to school. He did construction and then became a CPA. See, this way, because our family, A.D., my grandfather, was from Madison mm-hmm. and grew up family of 13 kids uh, on a tobacco farm. Mm-hmm. And that's what they did. Dad would go over there during the summers and work the tobacco farm. That's mm-hmm. all the stuff that they were involved in. Yeah. Yeah. Very similar background. Yeah. So, fast forward, we did Lake Ridge immediately when we opened it. It was probably doing four times the business that Tallahassee was. Okay. At this time, I was at, at school already. I went to Auburn University in Alabama and ended up going through Chapter 11 bankruptcy in about ninety ninety one. And meanwhile, I was in school. I started in architecture, then went to building science, then went to business economics and marketing. And then agriculture. And, uh, well, I kind of had that already. <laughs> and so... I was also, I had started a little subcontracting construction mm-hmm. company working for a, a bigger builder and and doing that too. And he came to me in about 92, so I had like six hours left to finish school. And he said, uh, I need your help and I can't pay you very much. And it's kind of one of those things, what do you say? Yeah. You know, I don't know how to run a winery, but... I'll certainly help any way I can. Yeah. You know, thanks for raising me and yeah. putting me through school and on <laughs> and on. And uh, so I moved down to Orlando. We had closed Lafayette at that time, merged everything down to Central Florida at the Lake Ridge facility and started in wholesale because we were trying to get it, our product into stores. But it, it doesn't really work that way if nobody knows your product. Mm-hmm. You know, you might make one sale and it sits on a shelf and collects dust. So I quickly, you know, observed that wasn't going to be the path to success. It was more, how can we get people to the winery, try the wines. If you like it, you know, here's some ways to save money by buying a lot of it. You know, if you buy a case, you save some money, you buy four bottles, save some money, on and on and on. And it was more about enhancing the experience, which we did. And I kind of changed a lot of things with the retail room and with the offerings that we had in there, but the tour and the whole And, you, and you're skipping over all of the legislative stuff that you had to go through, probably to get, yeah, to be he, able to sell the wine. He did that early before we opened Tallahassee. Yeah. But back then, nobody cared. <laughs> you know, the distributors didn't yes. care because they knew we were going to be out of business in a year or two, and it wouldn't matter. Yeah. I don't worry so about that. Just said, sure, don't don't worry about that little change guy. the law, let them do this. Yeah. So we did. We we have a lot of advantages in that time doing what we did that the breweries and distilleries mm-hmm. were not afforded that luxury because the success that has occurred in our industry by people probably like us, the distributors didn't like that so much and said, we're going to block this any way we can yeah. And because we need to touch all of those sales mm-hmm. where most of our sales were happening at the winery themselves at that time. And so, after we redid all the stuff, we were seeing some success, but then it, it came to, we're open seven days a week for free tours and wine tasting. What's the incentive to come in a place like Central Florida, where you've got competition all over the place? Yeah. You've got events, you've got the theme parks, on and on and on. And so, we started doing event marketing, because I, I could just hear people saying, 
hey, let's go to the winery this weekend and do the tour and wine tasting. Oh, well, there's a festival and art show in Winter Park. Let's do that instead. It's only this weekend. Mm-hmm. And so I get put off and put off. So we started doing our own events. And it built to where we were doing one event festival uh, every month. And each one would be themed different based on either what we developed or what the time of year. You might have a harvest festival or wine fest or seafood and wine festival, on and on and on. And prior to COVID, they had gotten so big that we were seeing fifteen to 18,000 people in three days on the weekend of these events. But over the period of time from 92, I got there in 92, we came out of bankruptcy in 93, started seeing some success, did San Sebastian in 96, added on to San Sebastian, tripled the size of it in Mm -hmm. 2001, have added on to Lake Ridge three times since then. We're building a, a big distribution warehouse right now at Lake Ridge on property. And uh, COVID kind of put a little wrinkle in our event schedule. So coming out of COVID, you know, everybody was worried about you're going to have a super spreader. So we haven't done a proper festival Mm -hmm. like we were doing since the end of COVID. But what we're doing is every weekend now is an event with live music on stage, food. We've got a beautiful area there where you can just sit out and bring your lawn chairs and Mm -hmm. And enjoy great music and food and hang out for the day. So that's worked pretty good for us, too. Yeah, it, it, it has, Sam. I mean, I think people are starting to get back to the big events. I don't know yeah. if they're 100% back, but they're kind of they're kind of getting there a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I think they're getting there. Yeah. Um, I've been to some, and it didn't seem like anybody was two-faced <laughs> to, to me. <laughs> well, I think you have people that are all in, yeah. and then you have people like, I'll just wait and see what happens to the all-in people, and then I'll go. Yeah. Right? I think, I I just, think and, that certainly happens. And the all-in was like, First one was great. I'll keep doing them, right? And so they just keep booking them and going. I know the amphitheater. Uh, yeah, we live around the corner from it, and it, it seems to be doing quite well. Yeah, so. they've they've done well. Yeah, since they started out there, they yes. they do a great job. They do. Um, so, kind of, one. Are you still doing your own construction? You mentioned the new thing. Are you guys still your own GCs? No. Nowadays, we we pass that off to somebody who does it for a living. <laughs> well, a lot of that's about relationships you have with yeah. subs and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And so to try to just jump in and do it, I don't think works out too good anymore. And, and what, what was the first wine you guys came out with? What was the first the first brand type? Uh, well, when we opened Lafayette, we had probably five different wines, all made from muscadines. Mm-hmm. Uh red and white and and back then you know who was seeing success at the time was california and they were making chardonnay and chenin blancs and sauvignon blancs and you know whatnot so we kind of thought okay how to be successful is make a dry white wine and but what we had to work with with muscadine varieties you can't really make a muscadine and have it balanced dry Mm -hmm. so it's going to be fruity and a little bit sweeter to taste right and so that's what we had that's what we made yeah and uh there were some hybrid varieties back then that you could produce a dry wine in florida that would actually survive the humidity but what sold is the sweeter and the sweet red what is vintner's red today yeah was what made the cash register ring and today is 40 percent of our sales is that one product wow and has been that way pretty much since the beginning. We so the, the, what little I know about grapes, which is very, very little, so you should be able to destroy this in about 30 seconds, but uh, it's usually they were talking about side slopes and you want to be at kind of higher elevations and you want rain. You mentioned Florida being dry and more humid at times. So what kind of, yeah, I, I mean. <laughs> it's incredibly humid. <laughs> you know, at times, 24 hours a day, at times. Um, so how did you adjust for that in, in growing the grapes? I mean, because I, when you, I imagine when you, your dad first started, it was kind of a learning process of, all right, wh- when do we plant? How do we do this? Harvest times, all those kind of things. Because mm-hmm. there wasn't a whole lot of people doing. Very few. And the people winters. that had done it hadn't been successful at it. Mm-hmm. So you were, really weren't going to learn too much from the guy that's no longer doing it. Yes. And uh, but how did how did you go out of business? Because you tell me how you did that. Right? Yeah, <laughs> like write all those things down. We're not. not to do. <laughs> we don't want to do any of that stuff. <laughs> and, and, and since then, I've helped people open businesses, 
and especially you know wine distilleries mm-hmm. you know, i worked with phil and uh mike diaz a little bit before they were opening the distillery and it, it's like what i can tell you is what not to do mm-hmm. i'll save you hundreds of thousands of dollars on the front end <laughs> yes because i've lived it and mm-hmm. seen it and done it most of them i've done mm-hmm. <laughs> and learned from it that way but uh this one will cost you this much money this yeah. one will cost you this much time this will cost you uh sleepless nights and, yeah and don't buy everything shiny brand new mm-hmm. you don't have to there's always somebody out there that's in your business that's either growing and mm-hmm. they don't need that anymore or they're going out of business and they don't need yeah. that anymore and it's in perfect condition mm-hmm. and a third of the price yeah especially when you're going into business you mm-hmm. need to keep some because it's never going to pan out exactly like you thought it was <laughs> but uh but it's more about the varieties of you grow the of the grapes that you grow for the region you're in mm-hmm. that's really what it boils down to so if you grow the varieties that grow in your area so the southeastern united states it's predominantly muscadine because it was native to mm-hmm. here. when the french came over they brought vines with them planted them they got pierce's disease died in about three or four years and said well there's this wild fruit growing we're we're gonna have to drink some wine here so Mm -hmm. let's make it out of that okay and so that so the muscadine was native to the southeast yeah okay when you see it in woods Mm -hmm. all the time the vines up in the trees those are predominantly muscadine varieties and there's probably a hundred different varieties of muscadines we grow about four okay uh, and the reason we chose those is they ripen evenly which is what you want for winemaking you want to harvest it all at one time yep uh, some of the other varieties are much larger but they don't ripen very evenly so if you have like a you pick it's good for that mm-hmm. because they've got you know staggered ripening times for the different vines throughout the vineyard but for our purposes we want to go through there we harvested the very first time by hand that is the only time we ever harvested by him because you do not want to do that for very long. Yeah. And so it was kind of one of those things of, well, there's got to be a better way mm-hmm. here. And so we bought a mechanical harvester, and we're on about our fifth now. Yeah. That uh, it, it's, you know, the muscadine grape produces, if you take care of it and maintain it correctly, it produces a lot of fruit. So we're, we've gotten as much as 15 to 17 tons per acre. Which you don't get that in California mm-hmm. off of any variety. Yeah, you know, there's there's varieties that they're probably happy with about three or four tons an acre. So the fruit loads there. Yeah, and it can handle it. And it's a very hardy vine. It gets the grapes have a very thick skin, so they're resistant to a mm-hmm. lot of these diseases that come about based on our climate <laughs> and the bugs that we have and on and on and on so, and one of the things florida's got this funny kind of weather right now we've been hot mm-hmm. right we but you know in the 80s and even in the 90s a little bit with these horrible freezes which as you mentioned took out a lot of the citrus trees mm-hmm. because there were citrus trees all the way up to deland mm-hmm. north of deland yeah on 11 and they're all back now which tells me that any winter now the the freeze is coming to knock them back down again yeah, sure and we used to have orange trees um where St. Agnes School is to the south of that, where the old Winn Dixie was at one point in time in the city. That that was all an orange grove, mm-hmm. and so we had a lot of orange groves up here. They all got knocked out in the seventies and eighties with the freezes. How well does the muscadine do with the freeze? Good. So the unique thing about a grapevine is it goes dormant in the winter. Okay. So after you harvest the fruit, which now is Septemberish, so August, mm-hmm. late August, September, they'll start to lose their leaves and go completely dormant so it'll almost look like a dead vine and that's when you go through you do some pruning mm-hmm. you clean up the vines a little bit and so they're dormant until february uh sometimes you'll make it to march but the problem is if you've already experienced bud break so they're coming back out mm-hmm. and then you get a freeze mm-hmm. then it knocks all those buds off and your fruit load's going to be knocked back you know probably a third okay by one freeze you get another freeze it'll come back but you're reducing fruit load every single time that happens and it it happened to us last year almost every one of our vineyards so we've got 
550 acres total. Now, some are in the Panhandle and some are right there at Lake Ridge um, that we actually own and, and farm. But then we contract with about eight or ten other growers throughout the state, and we just buy their fruit. Mm-hmm. And they don't have a winery. They just grow. Almost every single grower, including ours, were hit by frost last year. And so we got about 60% of the fruit that we were thinking yeah. we should get. And which sounds like, you know, Roro, you know, how are you going to make enough wine to meet your forecast? The few harvests before that, two or three in a row, we had more than what we thought we were going to get. So yeah. we had extra wine in the tanks. Yep. So it didn't hurt us as bad as it could have. But that would have been somewhat challenging for that significant of a loss based on a freeze event. Mm-hmm. Well, that was, and not knowing the wine industry, knowing the potato industry, I think all potato mm-hmm. farmers around here, that's always one of their fears, right? You get this really warm, early planting mm-hmm. season, and then you get a full moon and a really cold frost mm-hmm. or a freeze, yeah. and it knocks them all back at the worst possible time, or two inches of rain at the wrong time. And right. It, you know, and all of that impacts that growing cycle. Yeah, and we don't want rain, a lot of it, right before harvest. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're going to pick, you know, next week, you don't want three days of rain. Yeah. Because it just absorbs it all, your sugar content drops, the berries start to burst, and, you know, they can then rot on the vine before you get them. And that, that you don't want that. <laughs> well, and you want the sugar content up because the sugar content affects the alcohol content. Right. Yeah. And so, so you, you've got, and we can add sugar. Mm-hmm. Uh, other places, California doesn't let you add sugar because yeah. their their bricks or sugar content gets much higher. But we add it to get to there. So, I mean, we could add more, mm-hmm. but it's just an increase of your cost. That yeah. All of a sudden, you're buying double the amount of sugar that you were, and it gets expensive. Yeah, cane sugar's not. That's why Coca Cola left it. Yeah. It's ruined Coca-Cola, but that's a whole nother show. Yeah, right. <laughs> Still working on that that's show. That's a whole nother show. <laughs> I'll let that one go for today. Um, what What's kind of one of the, the neat things you've seen about the the, the different uh, wineries that you've had? How, you, you talked about the plants that have been around a while. What's the longest you've gotten one of the like the vines to grow? I mean, how often do you have to replant and start from the beginning? Oh, if you take care of a vine, 100-plus years. Okay. So... Unless we've intentionally taken some out for, you know, plant another variety mm-hmm. or something like that, or lightning, you know, when, when you get lightning that hits a row that's got a metal wire on the top holding up, it pretty much takes out the whole row. Okay. And so, other than that, you take care of them, and we've never, we've never just had a vineyard that we had to replace because it was so old. Okay. And the ones up in the panhandle were growing before we were in business and so we've been in business almost 40 years now I guess. yes and they were there before that and we actually contracted with that grower and he retired and was going to sell his property and we didn't know what was going to happen with the 40 acres ish of fruit he had and we needed it and so we bought it if you didn't buy it if you didn't buy it it was about to become houses or condos yeah <laughs> That's true. well in this part of the panhandle there's not much there so but you just don't know if somebody's going to want to put in that work. Mm-hmm. It, it's not an easy job to. No, agriculture and construction yeah. are not easy when you when you do those. Like and, and food service isn't exactly easy with people's demands today either. No, so I mean, not. it's not. None of those are very easy things. How many staff do you have right now? Total company probably a hundred and ten. Yeah. Um, I think there's about. 50, maybe 45, 50 up here mm-hmm. in San Sebastian. And then there's three or four over in the Panhandle that work those vineyards. And then the balance is at Lake Ridge. Yeah, I think Amanda's organizing a wine festival for the 904 yeah, Network all right. uh, over at your... At I'm, your uh, I'm all about making a party and <laughs> hanging out with some friends. So let's do this. Yeah, I, th- I think Amanda's looking for a date so we can have the... Uh, <laughs> The 904 now wine tasting. Um, and I promise you, even though Pete is short, he is old enough to drink. Oh, rude. <laughs> Why do you got to go there? I don't know. It's just, I just, sometimes I have to. I'm sorry, to Barbara see, Jean. Just to see if Barbara Jean's still awake. <laughs> She's awake. Just to see if Barbara Jean's paying attention to me today. 
I'm going I'm to get nasty comments anytime now. Barbara Jean's in love with Pete. So we did have a question in the comments. The lighthouse bottle? Yes. That's Ventner's Red. Mm-hmm. And someone had asked whether or not it, a proceed of those sales continue to go to the lighthouse. Yes. Yes. Um, and so we actually, there was an article in the Jacksonville Magazine recently that mm-hmm. talks about that. So we've done that project. Think about the same time we started uh, the reserve wines that was maybe two, 2014 somewhere mm-hmm. around there. And prior to that, I sat on the board of trustees at the lighthouse for a number of years, and you learn a lot about what all they do in addition to you know tours of the lighthouse and, mm-hmm. and go up in the rehab of of the facility. Incredibly educational what they're doing the programs with kids mm-hmm. the archaeology underwater and the, the research they're doing from wrecks that they find and it's just a whole different aspect of what goes on over there with the maritime society and so i had known kathy fleming the executive director quite well at the time and um we decided to get that bottle made mm-hmm. so the bottle company actually designed that, and uh, we released it, and we've had great success with it. Mm-hmm. And to date, it's well over a hundred thousand dollars that we've given to them. Wow, that's amazing! So, yeah, that's that's Probably. awesome. And that, yeah. I tell people that was the first group in St. Augustine that took on an insurmountable project. Mm-hmm. That people said you'll never be able to raise that much money to do that. And they did it. And mm-hmm. they did it really well. They saved the lightkeeper's house. It mm-hmm. took years to get it completely done. We were, um, our company was fortunate to do the final phase of renovation on that in 1987. Mm-hmm. Um, and oh, I can tell you stories about that building. Yeah, I bet. I can tell but you some stories. It, it's it's an iconic landmark oh, it's, in St. Augustine. Yeah. And uh, so we're glad to partner with them. And one that was in danger of going away. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, it was in really bad disrepair after the fire. Um, and you had some folks that had an amazing vision mm-hmm. and they said, we're going to figure out how to raise the money to do this. And, and they did it. I mean, what it is today and what it's grown out of, it's really rather remarkable. Mm-hmm. It's, it's amazing what they've done. When you have hard headed people mm-hmm. that won't take no for an answer and say, we're going to do this. Yes. <laughs> that's kind of what it takes. I think that's probably why we're still in business is my dad was very hard headed and said, it's going to work. I got friends invested in this thing. I can't let <laughs> well, it down here. It, it, yeah. I, I think that part of it is really, um, yeah. I, any business that's successful, it has those hard headed stories of, we just, yeah, we probably should have closed the door when we had 50 cents in the safe and we were figuring out how to make payroll tomorrow, but we didn't. Mm-hmm. And we fought our way through it and we got it done. And so, yeah, I think every small business um, that grows into a bigger size business goes through that. Absolutely. I mean, I, you just, it's just the stick to itness of, I'm not going to give up on this. Mm-hmm. So, um, you mentioned the Ventures Red was your, still your primary brand or your most popular, mm-hmm. but you've got a lot of other brands and you've got one that you kind of partnered with somebody out of California with right now. Yeah. So we, got i think about 14 varieties that we make right now Mm -hmm. per winery um one of the things that we also started around 2014 was a lot of people like cabernet sauvignon dry red wine um california grows great cab and Mm -hmm. so we started partnering with small wineries that had extra juice that was good quality that we could do a limited release kind of reserve Mm -hmm. bottle so we do now um the uh, cabernet sauvignon and we do a petite syrah which petite syrah is a little bit fruitier smaller fruit really inky color uh one of my favorite varieties but uh we do both of those now and uh that's been successful as well are you bottling that in california shipping it here are you bottling it here no we bring it here we might tweak it a little bit once we get it and then we'll we'll bottle it at our facilities now, the other thing that's, I think has been really interesting in in the alcohol business the last few years is the swapping of barrels. Mm-hmm. Right, Bourbon people are swapping with wine people. Wine people are swapping with bourbon people. Bourbon and tequila people are swapping. I mean, it's been really interesting to see that, to get that second use out of a barrel. Mm-hmm. Are you guys doing anything like that? Yeah. we When we came to St. Augustine, two of the products that we did that we had never done before were a port and a cream sherry. Okay, And so we bought bottle, uh, barrels out of distilleries that were up 
in Kentucky, and mm-hmm. I think there was a distillery in Georgia at the time that we were buying barrels from. And so that's what we were aging the port in, up in the second floor of the old building. Mm-hmm. All those barrels are full of port. Okay. And so we were buying them then, shipping them down here, and doing it that way. When the distillery opened down the street, that got a whole lot easier yes. <laughs> because they want our port belt barrels yes. to age their port finished bourbon in mm-hmm. we want their whiskey barrels to age our port in and so now every now and then we'll load up a trailer and go back and forth between you know two minutes down the road well and phil is such a nice guy to work with yeah i mean it makes it really easy phil i'd like yeah i mean first and it's just an easy deal to work with him he's a great guy yeah absolutely so. we've enjoyed the relationship yeah they do a fantastic job over there yeah so is there anything on the horizon that you see that you guys are working on that's kind of like a new wine in, in somebody else's barrel uh we we might actually do a cab in phil's whiskey barrels okay and so we're looking at that um we're doing a european market uh, restaurant mm-hmm. coffee shop next to the winery in st augustine between us and the water along king street i'm looking forward to that by the way me too. I've been looking forward to it for about three or four years now since we bought the brother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what you're saying is every year you write the check for the taxes on it, you look forward to it a little bit more? When we bought the original building, yeah. back then the development behind us was, was set up a little differently. The city owned all the property. They mm-hmm. were selling pad sites, and they were going to do all the infrastructure, parking and everything, and it was just about to happen that they were going to sell all these pad sites there was mm-hmm. there was always projected to be a hotel and some restaurants mm-hmm. and parking garage and whatnot and uh it's evolved from developer to developer to developer we've been there 27 years or so now yeah and it was just about to happen all these times and it almost did one time and then the recession happened in 2007 and when all of the heavy equipment goes away and, yeah. and you you kind of grow up in construction and you're watching it out your yes. window you go uh-oh that's not good <laughs> i remember that they, they shouldn't be leaving hey, yeah when they leave before the job's done yeah. or started it's not a good thing right? yeah, and if it was close. on somebody else's trailer that's coming to reclaim them then you really know you're in trouble yeah. right but wasn't the original company that dropped them off and somebody else is getting them um i, I always thought that site uh the city's kind of bungled that multiple times right you had a developer out of gainesville that could eat that i thought could have done it in the in the 90s right and the city decides now we're going to go rebid this and and by the time they get out of that process we go into a recession and then they get all that cleaned up and the next guy comes along like you said and we're ready to go in 2007 we go in another recession Mm. and i just for me it's a site that that it could already have been done multiple times and the city's got in its own way. And you don't have to say anything because you have to deal with the city. But for me as a resident, I just look at that site and I go, that could have already been done. We had multiple opportunities and it's not done. And I just hope the end result is better than all the other things that could have been done. So. Well, and, and the way we were kind of trapped in there because it changed the format. Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden we were going to be bound by whomever developed this thing because we needed parking. Yeah. And... That made us very nervous mm-hmm. with some of the developers that came along because they didn't necessarily want to provide us parking. They more wanted our building. Yeah. And we weren't too interested in that. And so some of the developers that went away, that might have been a good thing for us. Um, but now, and that's why we bought the piece. That was yeah. the first time we had the option to buy a piece mm-hmm. is when the guys that had the piece around us there, it's about two and a half three acres decided they didn't want to wait any longer yeah and put their money somewhere else so we bought their piece and so now we're at least secure mm-hmm. in our in our destiny well and i see that from your standpoint right because everybody that comes in goes oh we'll just buy that building too mm-hmm. and you're like no actually we've invested a lot in this building and we're making money out of this building and no we're not moving out of this building right and by the way, we'd like your parking that you don't have yet. And I got the best piece, right? Yes. <laughs> that was by design. Yeah. So so I think that's awesome for you guys because you'll have some parking, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Additional parking you have. And then you'll also have the um, uh, the European kind of, um, uh, what I'm sorry, you call it the... Um, European market. Market. 
that'll have a, a restaurant and a coffee shop that kind of overlooks the river there. Which I think will be awesome for the students across the street mm-hmm. and for the residents in Lincolnville, mm-hmm. right? You can ride your bike to there yeah. and you can get, you get stuff, which, yeah. you know, traffic is, is at times is, is difficult around that corner. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a feeling you're getting ready for the worst traffic you've ever seen whenever they redo the bridge. Yeah. And we've dealt with things like that before when yeah. they did the drainage project, you know, the world mm-hmm. was going to collapse and yeah, it didn't. And they've done some stuff on when they, did the other bridge yeah and rerouted down malaga and whatnot so it's that doesn't concern me as yeah. much as delaying my project where i've got a full set of plans sitting there on a table that have been done for about two years now and i've already had to update all of the codes because mm-hmm. they ran out before we got a permit and so i'm sitting there right now waiting on the other developer to yeah. finish his hotel piece behind us and so we can get civil set done and move forward with a lot of rumors the police station might be moving but any comments on that Uh, i think they've outgrown that facility anyway and so i don't I don't mind the police station being there. It's kind of nice. certainly doesn't hurt, hurt I, us. I've never minded the, the sheriff's department being across the street from us. It, it's never bothered me. The, the thing that's kind of funny is you think there's a lot of police officers in that building. Yeah. yeah there's not. So mm-hmm. they come from somewhere else when yeah. you call them. It's kind of like, I was thinking you might just walk across the street and take care of this rather quickly. That never really happens that way. But, uh, but I think that from the police chiefs that I've known along the way, yeah. which is most of them since we've got here, all of them, mm-hmm. um, they've all kind of seemed to have a desire to move to a new facility and yeah. improve their situation a little bit. Well, it was it's better when they move there from where they were, right? Mm-hmm. But it but it obviously times are kind of changing, communities growing and changing, and again with all the floods that happened down there, mm-hmm. to be the center and the hub of what's supposed to be in control of the city during an emergency. And you can't get in and out of your building because the water's three feet deep around it. Yeah, you might want to be someplace else. Well, I'll tell you a good thing. When the power goes out, if you're next to a police station mm-hmm. and the fire station is right down the street, yes. we get power back instantly. Yes. <laughs> it's, 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 that's always been kind of nice. I will 100% agree with you. Um, it was during one of the hurricanes um, out here in our rental space. We're across from the sheriff's department. We're next to the county complex, so we're on that grid as well that this will stay up. Um, but we have the National Guard renting from us. And then we had a food pantry downstairs uh, where this space is. So I'm like, okay, we got a food pantry during the hurricane. And I walked back to check on the guard folks. And they're rolling in at Humvees. And I'm like, yeah, we're good. We're fine. We got everything we need. We got security. We got food. We got power. We got water. This is going to be good. So. So full disclosure, I did work for Charles, and I did tours and tastings. Yes. I think I got a job there in 2007. I was there through Isabella being born. So I think I worked there from like 2007, 2010. Mm -hmm. It was really nice having the police department right next door. Because you get someone rowdy at the bar, you're like, well, I can just call my friend. There are neighbors, you know. (laughs) And so that was always fun, having the police department. Nice little safety spot. Yeah. And you guys do about 160,000 people or so a year going through that on a tour? Exactly. Yeah. I do research. I do. <laughs> I do research. Over there. Every once in a while. Yeah, I, I, which I think is, I think it's awesome. You guys have been a great add to that whole St. Augustine experience. And I think it's awesome that the rooftop bar is, is super fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you guys, you, you've, you hit a home run when you put all that in the building and managed to get that, the, the rooftop out of it as well. I just think that really is, is, is super fun. Um, and I think it gives tourists kind of that whole experience of, all right, we've gone to all the places downtown. We've walked up with the right. Let's sit down and have a drink now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I think is. Well, and, and back at that time, so 2000 ish, mm-hmm. the original plan for the addition had no rooftop. It yeah. was just a tile roof kind of <laughs> angled off of the side there. But after living here for several years, back then there there weren't all the restaurants that no. we enjoy today. No, there weren't all the bars and the nightlife and so it was kind of like this is something that the city mm-hmm. needs and so that's kind of why we did that and it, it has turned out quite nice up there whose idea was it to put it up there uh mine yours did your dad or your sister or your mom go i don't think that's a good idea they go man that's a brilliant idea no nobody really heading my sister's never really 
done much with the business. So she yep. she's been an interior decorator and was at that time she was in Colorado. Mm-hmm. She renovates houses and has done something like thirty eight of them in the past thirty something years. Lives in most of them while she does them and flips them, and that's kind of been what she's done. Where does she live in Colorado? What part? Uh, Littleton. Littleton. Okay, is where she was. Okay. Uh, last she moved again, and I forget where she is now. Because right. Col- around there, because Colorado's had a lot of the same kind of growth that Florida's had, not on the mm. same scale, but you had these little towns that were down the mountain from big ski resorts, and the bigger the ski resort got, the bigger the little town got, and it just kept pushing people mm-hmm. farther away. Um, we were in Crested Butte a couple summers ago, and the workers were struggling, right? The same struggle that you have with workers t- for your industry, right, is where do they live? Mm-hmm. And these workers were saying, look, i, I got to drive 45 minutes or an hour in because I can't live in Crested Butte anymore because there's so many Airbnbs in Crested Butte and, and there's no place for me to live. I'd rather work a double and only have to drive one day than have mm-hmm. to work two different shifts and have to drive two different days. And back then, I think gas was $4 or $5 or something. It was crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the uh, restaurant owners had gotten permission to put a tent city in his backyard. Mm-hmm. And his workers were living in tents in the backyard. Because oh, he was trying to figure Gracious. out, how do, I, how do I get enough workers? How do I keep enough people? Because it was a huge influx for that limited summer season. Then you kind of got fall and spring off. And then all of a sudden, the winter season's there. And everybody's back again for the snow season. Mm-hmm. So um, kind of the same thing we deal with with, you know. Easter, race week, bike week, spring break. I, I didn't know when I moved up here first. So when we were renovating the original building, mm-hmm. I was living in Central Florida. And when, when I moved there, I thought, this is the hottest place on the planet. <laughs> and it rains every day. It pours every day at 430. And yep. then it's just steam. And every morning you'd walk out of your air-conditioned apartment or home or wherever you lived. And your first breath was just, you know, pure mm-hmm. humidity. And it was <gasps> one of those. And so when I was coming up here, so my dad and I would meet over here a few times a week. And after the construction company would leave and mm-hmm. all their guys would get out of there about 3.30 or 4, we would take over and do whatever mm-hmm. else needed to be done. And we might work till 11 o'clock at night or whatever. Yeah. But every time I got here, it'd be a nice breeze. It was about mm-hmm. 10 degrees cooler. Yep. And what it was in Central Florida wasn't as humid. And I thought, wow, it doesn't matter where I live. I'm going to have to go back and forth between these things anyway. So I'm moving to St. Augustine. Yeah. <laughs> and I did. And I've enjoyed it ever since. Well, it's in Central Florida, I went to Florida Southern and Lakeland. And so the, the interesting thing is it still gets cold down there. Mm-hmm. But you walked to class in the morning and it was 32 degrees. By the time it was lunchtime, it was 55 or 60. About 2 o'clock, it was 75. And then the temperature just started dropping until midnight again, right? It was the craziest darn thing. And, you know, you'd be, you'd kind of broken that humidity up here. You start to get some northeasters, and then you, it late August, early September. Then you go to Lakeland, mm-hmm. and it's 100 degrees every single day, and there's no breath of wind anywhere. And you're like, this is just going to be hot for another month. There's no way we're going to, yeah. 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 Central Florida is just a little different. If you like that heat, it's good. Like that weather change, this is the place to be. Later on, I went to Mexico, and I thought, well, maybe Mexico's the hottest place. <laughs> it might not be Orlando. Uh, I don't know. Orlando is pretty, Orlando's pretty rough. I think you made the best deal out of that. Yeah. Um, what time are you guys open? People want to come see you. They want to come do the tour. They're locals. Is there a good day of the week that you go, hey, this is the best day if you're locals and you want to get in? You don't have a ton of tourism. You used to work there, too, Amanda. I mean, mm-hmm. what, what days are those? I mean, middle of the week. Yeah. Middle of the week is when you want to come if you want someone to spend some time with you because weekends it's packed. And a lot of times for the weekends, we wouldn't even do the full, the mm-hmm. full tours. We would do self guided tours. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, if you want the, the full kit and caboodle, come in the middle of the week. So get your middle of the week crew together. Mm-hmm. So the 904 now night will be sometime in the middle of the week. Yes. Okay. Why no Wednesdays with the, <laughs> with the Mike Davis show crew? <laughs> Yes, yeah, so we open at 10 every day except Sunday. Suddenly, the San 11. Sebastian Winery sales skyrocketed. <laughs> but, yeah, that's that's probably the thing that we get dinged most on in you know, social media mm-hmm. and reviews is if somebody comes on a 
now it's Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and expects the full tour, which you get a whole lot more education. It's much more mm-hmm. personal when it's a guided tour throughout and yeah. one person does the whole experience with you as opposed to just getting in a line and going through there. But when you have a thousand or more people in a day, mm-hmm. you just can't do the, the, the guided tours. No. It'd, be, it'd be a line a mile long and people would just leave because they wouldn't want to wait that long. And so we're kind of forced to do it that way. Have you thought about bracelets and e-tickets? And <laughs> <laughs> fast passes. Well, fast pass. Going back to, you know, my CPA father. Yeah. Everything is a number mm-hmm. to him. And he always says, you know, I don't see why you can't get, you know, X amount of people through. And everybody gets a tour. Yeah. And, and I've had to explain multiple times. They don't show up when you want them to. Yes. They show up when they want to. It's not like you have this many people divided by this many hours. Yeah. You have this many people divided by this much time. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but probably two thirds of the people come between one and four. And so <laughs> yeah. you have to deal with that challenge. How has it how's it been getting the product into I mean in, in Florida there's a three tier system for mm-hmm. distribution of alcohol. And you've kind of managed to to beat that system a little bit back in the eighties, and I don't say beat it. You're able to change it to your advantage, which is now harder. For, it's been harder for beer and distillers to do um, spirits. Um, how easy has it been to get into some of the wholesale places and retail places and be able to sell the product? That didn't happen until we actually were up here for a good number of years. So mm-hmm. we. Early on, when I mentioned that I started in the wholesale when mm-hmm. I moved down to Central Florida, we kind of aborted that mission and said, let's stop trying to spend time and money on this and focus mm-hmm. on bringing people to the winery. It, it, it helps tremendously if your consumer pulls it through the market, mm-hmm. which happened. It was actually, I, I lived on the island when I moved up here, and I was grocery shopping at Publix at the beach. And the manager comes up and says, how do I get your products in here? Mm-hmm. And I, I'm looking. I'm not wearing anything that says yeah. Sebastian Winery. I said, how do you know who I am? Yeah. <laughs> he says, I know who you are. And he says, uh, I said, well, you tell me. Yeah. I'd love to have our products in here if, if you want them. And so he gets a packet. And it was you know an envelope that had all these papers in it. Fill, mm-hmm. fill this packet out and send it to our corporate and that'll get you authorized and then I can mm-hmm. order your products okay great so I leave in about 45 minutes I've filled out all this paperwork and I sent it in mm-hmm. never heard a word so a few weeks later I, I'm in there and he says hey what happened you gonna are you not gonna fill out the packet I said I filled out the packet you know 45 minutes after you gave it to me and sent it in so he he seemed a little aggravated, and he left and went back to his office. And so apparently his father was the corporate attorney for Publix. Okay. And the, his office was right next to the president of Publix. Yeah. So we immediately got authorized. And, <laughs> and he brought our products in. I know a guy. And I so, know a guy. And we, we have the ability. We own all three tiers. Mm-hmm. So we're manufacturer, we're distributor, and we're the retailer. Are you separate companies that own all those two years or all under no, one umbrella? they just allow us to hold all three licenses. Okay, okay. So it, it really travels through three tier. We just yeah. own all the tiers. Okay. So we could become our own distributor. Because at, at that time, you know, I was probably taking him three to five cases every two weeks or something. Yeah. So no distributor wants to deal with that. Yes. And so, so that was great. You know, I would just take it over there on my way home or something mm-hmm. like that. Well, they moved Publix managers around all the time. So they moved when they did Cobblestone. They yeah. moved him there. So he brought it in there. So now I deliver on Cobblestone and Beach. Then they did World Golf Village. And I mm-hmm. moved out there. So now I'm doing Cobblestone, the Beach, World Golf Village. And your dad is like, this is great. I've got a delivery guy. Yeah. And I'm paying VP wages to or president <laughs> wages. So this is awesome. I'm not even sure he knew at that point <laughs> what was really going on and so we had this guy named harry rosenblum mm-hmm. who has loved harry has since deceased he's no longer with us but he worked with us for quite a long time and yeah. he, he was older when he started and so he was probably 76 ish super guy gave a great tour had mm-hmm. great wine knowledge and he had diabetes and so his feet 
kind of bothered me a bit. But he told me, he said, if we ever get back into wholesale, I'd, I'd like to do that. So I'd get off my feet a little bit, and I think I'd be really good. I grew up in Chicago, and I worked with the Teamsters Union. And I thought, yeah, but it was a little. Yeah, you're with us. You're you're not with us. <laughs> you're gonna take this wine. And so I, uh, I said, okay, you know, I'm delivering now to all three of these places, and it, they're selling through. So maybe there's some more interest in mm-hmm. other supermarkets and wine shops and whatnot. So I, I got with Harry, and I said, uh, hey, next week I'm taking you off the schedule. Just go around to you know the west of the Publixes, Winn Dixies, you know, mm-hmm. wine shops, whatnot. And see if there's any more interest in this. And so this is back before cell phones everybody had. So I didn't see or hear from Harry for a week. And he comes back into my office and he throws a stack of papers on my desk. And I said, what's that? And he says, orders. And there was like 17 orders. And I said, what? I said, how do you expect me to deliver that? (laughs) And he says, well, that's your problem. (laughs) So I said, don't do anything else. And there used to be a place on Old Dixie that sold used box trucks and whatnot and and maintenance vehicles. So I went to that place, bought a box truck, Mm -hmm. and came back. And the guy that was doing our shipping and warehouse work, I said, hey, if I give you a few extra dollars an hour, and it might be one day a week Mm -hmm. or to i don't really know you know harry's gonna try to sell some more wine will you be the delivery guy yeah yeah, yeah i'll do that okay and i'm thinking i got a truck i got a driver and i got a sales, 17 orders and i got a sales guy <laughs> yeah and i got 17 orders in a week and w- when i had started in wholesale i don't know that i got 17 orders ever yeah. <laughs> the entire time i did it before yeah. we kind of got out of it and so that's what we did we ended up with three box trucks four sales people and we were running two out of lake ridge and one out of san sebastian and we grew it ourselves to about thirty-five thousand cases a year that we were projected to do then and it was it was getting challenging you know as far as we had to go to Mm -hmm. deliver all the places and because we were covering basically out of san sebastian from the georgia line down to daytona over to lake city and gainesville and then out of Central Florida, we were over Tampa, St. Pete, Sarasota, New Smyrna, and all of Central Florida. And so, but it was the volume was such that if we were going to expand, we were going to have to buy a warehouse or something yeah. somewhere else, you know, maybe closer to South Florida. So that was when I could have a meaningful conversation with the distributor. And so I think a lot of them were shocked when they heard what the numbers were because yeah. one of them, and this was the guy that, uh, Tom White, who at the time was president of RNDC, yep. who now does our distribution. We were walking back to his office in Deerfield Beach, and I said, what's a good account for you guys? Mm-hmm. And he said, well, anything over about 25,000 cases, we like pretty good. And I said, oh, good. You're going to like this. We're projected to do 35 this year. And he looked at me like, no way. <laughs> and he says, how many trucks have you got? And I said, three? <laughs> how many salespeople? And it, it was really like, Three and a half, because yeah. we only worked a few days a week, yeah. like three and a half. I said, how many have you got? He says, I have no idea, <laughs> but a lot more than that. And so they took it over, and now I think they're doing about 92,000. It, it's rare when I go in year. that I don't see your, your product somewhere. Yeah, it they, really truly is. Especially in the region closest around the winery, mm-hmm. yep. they move a lot of product and are very great partners all of the supermarkets and wine shops and so people have seemed to embrace it pretty well and were the three guys driving the trucks disappointed or were they like no i think they were happy because they were having to to load these things at like two in the morning or it was all kind of different things because all of the different stores don't accept deliveries at the same time Mm -hmm. you might have one that was right down the road from another that was a total opposite schedule so you couldn't just hit them both you had to Hit one and then go do everybody else in some sort of haphazard, yes, you know, route to get back to the other one, and so it was somewhat of a pain, but uh, we made it work. I, I, listen, I think your story is amazing. We need to bring you back. We didn't even touch on all the things you do in the community because you're heavily involved in in the tourism industry and and mm-hmm. uh, and promoting the tourism industry here. So 
We need to get you back. Maybe we we'll get you and Phil back and some of the other guys from the TDC and just yeah. have a good conversation. Amanda, mm-hmm. you have anything else? Uh, no, if you want to come back while Mike's on vacation, I'll be doing shows in June. <laughs> yes, I'm on vacation <laughs> in the beginning of June. I'll come back whenever you guys like me. Yeah. Amanda, we'll be back. All right, this is the Mike Davis Show. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. we got another great guest for you, Charles Cox. Thank you very much. Thank you as yeah, well. Great Good success here in St. Augustine. Glad to have you guys here. Glad to be here. All right, we'll see you guys tomorrow.